Before we get started this morning, I, uh, my heart is heavy uh, for our friends in Louisiana. Uh, 16 years ago to the day, today, Hurricane Katrina affected New Orleans, and they've got a Category 4 hurricane bearing down on them right now. Um, those of us who went to Lake Charles are grateful that our friends in Lake Charles are going to get a pass this time. Um, but I have dear friends across the greater New Orleans area that we worked with after Hurricane Katrina. And I know many of you are, are aware of that, aware of the loss of life that happened in Afghanistan this week, the hurricane that happened, uh, the earthquake that happened in Haiti recently. And there's just a lot that wears us down. And as we look at what's happening in the world around us. And uh, I just wanted you to know this morning, it did not catch God off by surprise. He didn't wake up this morning and go, what's going to happen in New Orleans? He already knows. And he is already at work, and I know that he will use even difficult circumstances like this for his kingdom purposes, just like he's going to use difficult circumstances to happen in your life for his kingdom purposes. But before we jump into the message, I just want to pause and pray. Um, Pray for some of these people, these things that have been affected just recently. Heavenly Father, we think of those down in the New Orleans area, in and around Louisiana and Mississippi, and Lord, I just pray that you put your head to protection around them. Lord, that the church there would be strong that you would strengthen them, that you would use them as you did after so many other storms and natural disasters to be a light and a testimony to you in a dark place and in a heavy season. Lord, be with the families of those who lost uh, servicemen and women this week in Afghanistan. We pray for that situation, for the believers in Afghanistan, Lord, again, that you'd put a hedge of protection around them, that their faith would be strong and you would use them as a light and a testimony in that dark, dark place. God, there's so many things happening in our world that weigh on our hearts and minds, but again, Lord, this morning we ask that you would help us to lay those aside to focus on you, your power, your glory, and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing with our uh, series, The Conversations with Jesus, this morning. And uh, it's interesting how often we become a spokesperson for a product or something that's affected our lives positively, right? I remember my first year of marriage, we were living up in uh, Seattle, Federal Way area, and uh, of course it rains a lot more over there, and I had this old beater Chevy Chevette car. Uh, Lights were terrible on it, the windshield wipers were terrible on it, and I'm driving at night, and it's dark, and it's rainy, and, and I saw this advertisement for this product, And I said, if you put this product on your windshield, you'll see better without your windshield wipers after using it than you did with your windshield wipers before using it. I'm like, no way. That's not going to happen. But I was desperate. So I went to the store and I got this product and I put it on my windshield and it worked. It was amazing. I couldn't believe how well I could see, especially driving at night in the rain. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And I told other people about it. Matter of fact, when we moved overseas, I bought several bottles so I could take it with me because I knew I couldn't get it where I was going. I was just, I was sold. And I told everybody about this product that helped me see better, right? How many of you have been on a weight loss plan that really worked for you? And you're like telling everybody about it because you're shedding the weight and it's life transforming. And you just, it just comes out of you. You can't wait to tell people about this great thing that's happened. 
There's some people in our church who sell a cleaning product. And I was like, yeah, again, I was like, I don't know. When we moved into our new house, we were given a whole pack, starter pack of this stuff. And I'm like, this is great. Cleaning so much simpler now and so much easier. When something affects our lives, what do we do? We tell people we can't contain it. It just comes out. The fellow in our story today who has a conversation with Jesus, this is kind of what happens to him. He's transformed. And so he testifies to the transformation. But let's back up and we'll just kind of walk through this story as it unfolds in Mark chapter 5. So Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, um, we'll just take the first few verses right off the bat here. And it says, they, so this is Jesus and the disciples, they went across the lake uh, to the region of the Gerizines. Jesus hadn't been to this area before. He's, he and his disciples heading across the lake. They get there. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. goes on to say, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This dude was in bad shape, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. The people around him didn't even like this guy, didn't like the condition he was in. He was possessed by an impure spirit. He was demon-possessed. The enemy had gotten a hold of this guy's life and he was bent on destruction for this guy because that's the enemy's intent. The enemy's intent for your life and mine is death and destruction. He's wandering around naked in the tombs. He's taking stones and he's cutting himself. Even when they try and bind him, the power of the enemy is so strong that he bursts the chains and the shackles. The enemy wants to destroy. Now, I don't believe that a Christ follower can be possessed by a demon. I do believe that Christ followers can be oppressed by demons and by the enemy. Because the enemy, he wants to render you ineffective. He doesn't want you telling the good news about what God's done for you. He wants to render you ineffective. He wants to bind you up in chains. He wants to put you in bondage. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus tells Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. Now, one encouraging thing that we're going to get to later on is Satan asked. So there's somebody with greater power than Satan. But the enemy is after Peter and the disciples saying, man, I'm going to take these guys out. I'm going to sift them like wheat. I'm going to show you, Jesus, that they're just, they don't got what it takes. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter tells us to stay alert. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. What's he doing? He's looking for someone to devour. Think of that imagery He's not looking for someone to maim. He's not looking for someone to 
give him a cut. He's looking for someone to devour. That's his intent. His intent is to take you down. And we, all we have to do is look around the world and we see he's pretty effective at it, isn't he? Putting people into bondage. Some of you know that um, my girls battled anorexia for, for several years uh, when they were younger. And it's interesting as we started to investigate that, you know, a lot of people think, well, anorexia is it's just an eating disorder and, you know, we just need to snap them out of it and get them to eat and, and they'll be okay. There's actually... Uh, if you delve deep into anorexia, there's a demon named Anna. People heavily involved in anorexia, they pray to the demon Anna. They try and do penance to the de- demon Anna. If they've eaten and they shouldn't, now they have to do penance to the demon Anna because they are locked in bondage. It's not just a physical eating disorder. It's actually a spiritual Disorder. It's a spiritual challenge. It's a spiritual bondage that my girls were in. It's not the only kind of bondage. Again, Satan's looking at who he can devour. Who can he bind up in chains? Maybe your bondage is relationships. You're in bondage to acceptance from other people or that pursuit of that someone who's going to make me happy and fulfill me. Maybe you're in bondage to success and always seeking to get the next level and the next rung and the next whatever. Maybe you're in bondage to finances and you just got to have a little bit more and a little bit more and you just can't get your finances on track. What is it that you're in bondage to this morning? Our society, even our church, is so divided. Mass, no mass. Vax, no vax. Are we so in bondage to our opinions about a certain thing in a certain way that now we're not even having an effect on the world around us because we're too busy fighting and arguing about our opinions among ourselves? And Satan's like, I've rendered them ineffective. They're chained up and in the, in the tombs. Good deal. What are you in bondage to today? I was at a retreat this weekend with my dad, and the speaker gave us this quote from John Eldridge. I thought it was pretty powerful and applied to what we're talking about this morning. He says, The story of your life is the story of the journey of your heart through a dangerous and beautiful world. It is the story of the long-sustained assault on your heart by the enemy. The long sustained assault on your heart by the enemy. But get this, who knows you, who knows who you could be. Did you get that? The enemy knows who you could be. He knows your potential. That's why he's at assault on you. And he fears you. He fears what you can do if you truly knew the power that you had through Jesus Christ. But some of us stay in bondage. Sometimes because we don't know how to break free. Sometimes it's because we don't realize we're in bondage. But the enemy's intent, the enemy's intent is to destroy you. 
to render you ineffective and to bind you up. That's what he'd done with this man in the Gerizines, wandering in the tombs. And Jesus gets out of the boat and this guy goes running up to him. And I know that we're talking about this conversation between the man from the Gerizines and Jesus, but this next bit of the text is actually the conversation between the demons and Jesus. So the demons are in this man and they're the ones having the conversation with Jesus in this next section. He goes on to say, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice. I can only imagine what this must have sounded like. I mean, just the power that these demons had in possession of this guy, and they're, they're screaming, and they're seeking. What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. And they're yelling this as loud as they can at Jesus. And then they come, keep going on and they say, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? Not the man from the Gerizines now. He's talking to the demons. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Next slide. And he begged Jesus again and again. Again, this is the demons. Begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. There's a couple things you've got to catch out of this little dialogue. Can we go back to the first slide of the verses for a sec? What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So these demons knew who Jesus was. They were well aware of the fact of who this guy that just got out of the boat was. They knew it was Jesus. They knew that he was the son of the most high God. Isn't that amazing? The demons knew who Jesus was. They knew his power. And actually, uh, in that culture, you use someone's full name to try and gain the upper hand and leverage and power over them. You know, it's like when you're mad at the kids and you use their middle name. Brian Charles. What? Everybody watching knew what the demons were trying to do right here. They're trying to gain the upper hand. They're in the position of power and authority. That wasn't the case, was it? Even when Jesus asks them what their name is, in the next slide, it says, oh, my name's Legion. We're just going to keep it short and sweet. Again, that power play going on. And then that last verse, notice what they did. They begged Jesus again and again. You know what they were doing? They were praying. Right? Begging Jesus, asking Jesus, making a request to Jesus. Isn't that what prayer is? So these demons knew who Jesus was, knew what power he had, begged and prayed to him. But their lives weren't transformed. Why would that be? It's because knowledge isn't enough. Just knowing who Jesus is isn't enough. Just knowing what the Bible says isn't enough. Being able to argue different passages and different stances isn't enough. It's about surrender. It's about saying, Jesus, you're in charge. 
Jesus, I need you to take control. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you to set me free. We had to move from that point of knowledge to surrender. Are you ready to surrender to Jesus? Because if you're ready to surrender, the good news about today, about the world, about your life, is that Jesus has the power to transform. There's no amen in that. Jesus has the power to transform your life. He has the power to transform our church. He has the power to transform our community, our world. He has the power to transform Afghanistan. Do you truly believe that? That's the power that resides in Jesus. And we keep going with the story here in Mark chapter 5 and verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged Jesus. Again, they're praying. Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. Don't you find it interesting? The demons were afraid of going to the abyss. And they knew what it was about. You think we'd be even more so. The demons begged Jesus, send us into them. And so Jesus did. He cast them out, sent them to the pigs, keep going. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Man, that'd be a stunning sight, wouldn't it? All of a sudden these pigs get all freaked out and take off running. We said the enemy's intent is to destroy, right? Because even these pigs, innocent pigs, what did they do? They destroyed the pigs. How much more so is he seeking to destroy you? Those tending to the pigs ran off, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, I would have too. Whoa, what's going on? Reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons feared this man that they feared that was just this wild torrent of a man cutting screaming he was sitting there dressed and in his right mind and the people were afraid because they'd just seen something they'd seen the power of God work in a way that they had no concept of those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told all about the pigs as well and then they asked Jesus can you they were overcome by the power of Jesus to transform. Jesus just spoke the word. And these demons who tried to grab the upper hand, who thought they had the power, who recognized who Jesus was, they had to yield. Because Jesus has the power. They didn't. Whatever has a grip on your life doesn't have the ultimate say. Whatever you're in bondage in, whatever's holding you back, that doesn't have the say. Jesus has the final say. And a lot of people say, well, why did Jesus send him into the pigs? That seems kind of cruel, ruined people's livelihood, killed all those pigs. And some have tried to say that it was because, you know, it was against Jewish law, pigs were, and so. But the area they were in was actually a Gentile area. So there's nothing that tells us that these pigs were owned by Jewish people kind of going against the law that, of the Ten Commandments. I believe Jesus sent him into the pigs because if Jesus just sent him into the abyss, people around watching wouldn't have understood and recognized the power Jesus had. 
But by sending them into the pigs, and that whole herd of 2,000 pigs running off the cliff, everybody watching, there is no doubt what just happened. And that Jesus transformed this man's life. That's the business Jesus is in. That's why he came to this earth. Why did he come and live among us? Why did he let people abuse him and spit on him and whip him and hang him on a cross to die a terrible, horrible, ugly death? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to transform your life. Because he, he knew that only by dying on that cross could he take your sin and mine upon himself. He knew that by dying on that cross and then coming back to life, Showing the power that he is more powerful than sin, he is more powerful than death, shows that he has the power over whatever is in your life. He has the power to transform your life, and that's why he did it. Because he wants your life changed. He wants your life transformed. He wants your life made new and made whole. He wants to set you free from what binds you and what's holding you in bondage. I shared with you that quote from John Eldridge earlier, the first half of the quote, that the, that the enemy is after us. But then he finishes that quote with the aspect of hope. He goes on to say, it is also the story, the story of your life, of the long and mysterious pursuit of your heart by God who knows you truly and loves you deeply. Yes, the story of your life is a story of the enemy who fears you, trying to put you into bondage, trying to defeat you, trying to destroy you. But the good news is that the story of your life is also about that mysterious and loving pursuit of the God of the universe who wants to set you free. And the beauty is his power is greater than the enemy's power. I may have shared this story a few years ago, but coming back to my girls battling anorexia and the spiritual battle that is. I remember one, one night in particular, we were at the grandparents' house and we'd had a battle over food again and Christina ended up on the bed in her bedroom, cross-legged, hunched up, huddled over, fist. we ended up going in and starting to pray with her. And by the time we were done, Grandma and Grandpa were in there. Mom and Dad were in there. Her brother was in there. We were praying over her. Praying for freedom. Praying for release. But we had to come to her and we say, Christina, we can pray over you all, all we want. But you're the one. You're the one who has to tell Satan he has no power. You're the one who has to tell him to go. You're the one who has to use Jesus' authority. We kept praying for her, and she's just rocking back and forth. And finally she said, Satan, I don't want you here. I said, good, sis, but you gotta say it like you mean it. You gotta say it with authority, with Jesus' authority. And finally, Satan, I don't want you here. You don't have power anymore. She completely relaxed completely relaxed and started quoting scripture. We didn't know she knew because the power of Jesus is to set people free from bondage and that's what he wants to do in your life today. He's pursuing you and he wants to set you free from whatever is holding you back. 
And the first step to that freedom is yielding your life to him and saying, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin and come into my life. But even if you're a Christ follower, you may be sitting here in bondage to something today that's holding you back, that's bringing you down, that's seeking to defeat and destroy you. And I want to tell you, Jesus can set you free. My daughter today is in a church proclaiming the good news. She's on stage leading worship and leading people to Jesus because she told Satan he had no power because Jesus has the power. And he has the same power in your life today. Have you allowed Jesus to transform your life through his power? Because that's what he wants to do. And not only does he want to transform your life, but once he does it, once he does it, then we start testifying to that transformation because it's a story that cannot be contained. It's better than the stuff that cleans my windshield and helps me see better. Jesus helps me see great. It's better than any weight loss program because Jesus takes the weight off of us in a way that a weight loss program never will. It's better than some cleaning product that just transformed how I clean my house because Jesus can clean my life. And we should be ready to tell that story. That's what this guy did. He had a story that couldn't be contained. It tells us in Mark that this guy wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to go back with verse. He wanted to go with Jesus. He said, come on, can I go with you? As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He wanted to be in Jesus' presence because Jesus had transformed his life. And when Jesus transforms our life, we should beg to be in his presence. But I find interesting, because here's this guy, he's a brand new believer, right? You think Jesus said, yeah, come, I want to disciple you. Jesus didn't let him go. Instead he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Don't come with me. You go testify to the transformation. The other thing, just a little side note in this passage, the passage started with Jesus coming to the Gerizines, getting out of the boat, and encountering this one man. And now he's getting back in the boat and leaving. He came all the way across the sea to the Gerizines for one person. Because there was one person who needed his transforming power in their life. Jesus would have come all the way down to earth, died on the cross, and come back to life if you were the only person to ever accept him because he wants to set you free from the bondage of your sin. The man had been set free. And Jesus said, go tell. Go tell. Not come learn. Come sit under my tutelages for a couple years. Now, we need to grow. Please hear me. We all need to be looking for opportunities to grow in our walk. We need to put ourselves in those discipleship relationships. That's why we value life groups so much as a church. And we want to encourage you to sign up for a life group as we start launching life groups this fall because we need to grow in our relationship with Jesus and we believe that that happens best in the context of community. But don't sell yourself short. I'm not ready I don't have the gifts, the skills for Jesus to use me. I haven't studied enough. I really should go to school. I maybe need to sit under other people a little bit more. Yes, sit under other people. Sit in life group. But that's not a prerequisite to going and telling. 
If it was, this guy wouldn't have gone. The prerequisite to going and telling is that Jesus transformed his life. And now I got a story to tell. I remember when got back from the Philippines with Ron Underhill after his heart attack there and we lost him on the table and God brought him back and he got back here. He couldn't contain his story of what Jesus did to save him. I love hanging out with Ronnie Viegas. God has transformed his life and set him free from the bondage of so many things and Ronnie can't contain that story. And for those who have had major life transformations, it's easy to go, yeah, of course they can't contain their story because, man, they were really messed up. And I grew up, Ronnie's laughing. <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> and I could say, well, I accepted Christ as a five-year-old. I mean, I wasn't as messed up as him. But as I stop and think, what would I be like if it wasn't for Jesus? I recognize my personality type and who I am and how driven I am. And I, I mean, I hurt people even though I've got Jesus in me. I can only imagine the damage that I would have wreaked over my life had it not been for Jesus. And I ought to be telling that to everybody. A story that can't be contained. A story that is worth repeating. A story that just bursts out of me. What I find interesting about this passage and about this gentleman in particular is when he transforms, Jesus transforms his life, everyone there is saying, Jesus, can you please go? We're, a little, we're not quite sure what to do with you and your power. Can you go? And Jesus leaves this guy there and says, go tell. Just go tell. Go testify to the transformation. As you walk through the book of Mark, the next time Jesus comes to the Gerizines, to the area of Decapolis, just 10 cities, 4,000 people come to hear what Jesus has to say. Let that sink in for just a sec. One untrained guy who'd allowed the life transformation Jesus did in his life goes and tells that story, testifies to that transformation, and the next time Jesus shows up, the people who are saying, Jesus, please go, are now there welcoming him, saying, hey, come, can you come teach us? 4,000 of them. Imagine what would happen in Kennewick. If we allowed the transformation of Jesus in our lives to just bubble out of us and we can't contain it and the transformation that could happen across our city. This morning I want you to know that Jesus wants to set you free. We're going to jump into a period of worship here in just a sec, but my hope and prayer is that whatever has you bound up, whatever is holding you back, whatever... Satan is trying to do to defeat you, that you'd give that to him and you'd invite him in. You say, Jesus, I surrender and I want freedom today. The song we're about to sing, death was arrested. And there's a declaration in there about free, 
free. Forever I'm free. That's what we need to live as as believers. Not, you know, man, I'm a sinner and I'm struggling and by God's grace, hopefully I'll get there. No, Jesus has set you free. He sets you free and we need to live in that. And if he hasn't set you free, we're going to have a prayer team at the back corner and the front corner. And we want to pray with you and we want to pray that you would be set free. And then we need to testify. Testify to that transformation in your life. Who is it? Who is it that Jesus would have you share that testimony of transformation with? Your neighbor, your coworker, your relative. Let it bubble out. The woman at Starbucks, let it bubble out. I just can't contain it because Jesus has set me free. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that death was arrested. Thank you that sin was arrested. Thank you that the enemy was arrested, that he no longer has power because you have a greater power. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has not trusted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would make that decision today. They'd come and pray with someone and we can help them know that they can be free. Somebody struggling with bondage, Lord, I pray that they would release that to you. They'd surrender it to you. They'd ask for your power to come and set them free. Free forever I'm free. And Lord, help us just to take that privilege of sharing that story. Lord, that we just couldn't contain it. It would so transform us and so bubble up out of us that we just can't contain the story of your goodness and your freedom in our lives, Lord. Help us to be the greatest spokesperson for Jesus, the most life transformation person there ever was. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing with us. If you need prayer in front or the back corners.